0: What are we now? Day fourteen, or is it day fifteen in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine? How does the average American feel about it? How does the average American think about it? How does the average American, who probably will wear a uniform and have to fight, feel about it after twenty-year war in Afghanistan and other places around the world? And I don't think they're really looking forward to something against Russia, not because. They're afraid of it. No American's ever afraid of a good fight. What about Bryce Mitchell? Bryce Mitchell. Now, that good old boy from down south in Louisiana, I'm sorry, Arkansas, had something to say about this whole thing. And he was talking after winning a major event. So, when you think about it, what exactly does the average American think, the average millennial think? Here's a 27-year-old who actually fights for a living, not a politician, What I have to say about the potential of having to fight war in the Ukraine as Americans.
1: I just wanted to get your thoughts on the whole Russia and Ukraine situation. You know, um, here's my first thought is I'm not going nowhere to fight none of these wars for these politicians. I'm staying at home. And when the war comes to Arkansas, I will dig my boots in the ground and I will die for everything I love. And I will not retreat if this country is invaded. And everybody's saying, well, we got to we got to evacuate. We got to leave. We got I will not. I will dig my boots in the Arkansas soil and I will fight for the people that I love, for the land that I love and the way of life that I love, but I'm not going overseas to fight. I don't know what's going on, to be honest, brother. I really don't. There's so much stuff and I don't think nobody knows what's going on fully. There's been so much political corruption in that area. You got Biden and his son making a ton of money off of uh, and using our tax dollars to bribe they are people that's treasonous, in my opinion. Uh, so you got Hunter Biden and his son using our tax dollars. Hey, if if Ukrainian government, if you don't do this, we're taking your tax dollars. He shouldn't be giving our tax dollars to that country anyway. We got veterans out here sleeping on the street, and you're going to give our freaking tax dollars to these Ukrainians? And, I, brother, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm not going over there and fighting So,
0: you know, that's basically what I guess many younger Americans would say when you, when you discuss the issue. But that's not what a lot of older Americans are saying. In fact, some Americans uh, and the war machine that is Washington, they look at it completely different. You know, you, you got to remember that very early on uh, in, in all of this, you had, um, you know, uh, people thinking about it, that Ukraine is, you know, some far away place, middle of nowhere. Way, way, way far away. But that's not what Lindsey Graham had to say way back in 2016. This is even before there was a major conflagration from the 2014 attack uh, and and conflict with Russia out there. But here's what Lindsey had to say about their fight in the
1: Ukraine. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price.
0: So basically Graham saying, you know, uh, their war Ukrainian fight, way back in 2016, was was going to be America's war, in his mindset. You see, at this time, they were all raising money, and a lot of Ukrainian Americans throw a, <laughs> a lot of money at politicians. Watching, they know how the game is played. You know, they know what exactly is going on, and they look at it and they see it and they say it, and they just, you know, makes you wonder why why follow the money you know there, there is something that is really 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 seedy going on with all of this something that really needs to be looked at fight for what is right is often a fight that takes a long time to figure out not something that can be worked out instantly you know it is not something that people can just jump on a bandwagon and say, oh, okay, well, this 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 must be the right thing. It's a conflict. It's a it's a war, you know, and it's not something that can easily be resolved instantly. Now you have to admire the desire of many in Ukraine who continue to fight regardless of what's happening, especially their President Zelensky. You know and how he's presenting himself, or how his government is presenting himself as the face of this entire operation. And uh, you know, earlier on Tuesday, uh, he spoke before uh, the British Parliament, what rare occasions. believe he's only one of the one of the one one of the only or or one of the most in recent memory whoever addressed the House of Commons Um, and how it just you know grabbed the hearts and minds of, of a lot of people in the UK and how it all came to be something that was a major development. It was a pretty long speech. And a lot of it basically boiled down to what exactly was going on. And some of the key elements sounded almost Churchillian. You know, sounded almost uh, like something that you would have heard from, from those during World War II at the height of uh, the, the battles back then. But even then, the Polish, the French, the other leaders were being uh, taken over. Rarely had an opportunity to address members of the parliament directly in the UK. Here in the USA, we, we had uh, Winston Churchill come
2: over and give a speech.
0: Uh, the other world leader who came over, of course, was Philippine President Kaysing, who also gave a speech, and as for America, did not forget those people who actually were under the American flag and should have been fought for, but were forgotten. And the United Kingdom was the first at that time. Well, obviously the situation in the Ukraine is a horrible. Way. War in itself is horrible. But let's listen to some of the highlights from uh, President. Zelensky of Ukraine and uh, Lord Vladimir Zelensky, as he addressed the United Kingdom's Parliament, speaking as one leader of his people to the British people represented by Parliament. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Prime Minister, members of parliament, gentlemen, I am addressing you and all the people of the United Kingdom and the people of Great Britain and the great people of great history. I am addressing. As a citizen of Ukraine, as president of another big country, with a dream, a big effort. I would like to tell you about these 13 days of war. The war that they, in Ukraine, didn't start and did not want. However, we have to conduct this war. We don't want to lose what we have, what is ours, our country, our Ukraine
1: just the same as you didn't
0: want to lose your country when the Nazis started to fight your country and you had to fight for Britain. The question for us in Ukraine is now to be or not to be. You know this is a Shakespearean question. For 13 days, this question could have been asked, but now I can give you a definitive answer. We will to exist. We are looking for your help, the help of civilized countries. We are thankful for this and very grateful for you, Boris. No, not Yeltsin, he's talking about uh, um, Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister. I'm trying to read the script. We are looking for your help, to preserve the uh, sanctions civilized countries and recognizes this country uh, of russia is who is implying as a terrorist state and please make sure uh, that our uh, ukrainian skies are safe please make sure you do what needs to be done what is stipulated by the greatness of your country glory to ukraine and glory to great britain that's what he finally says there sorry for getting a little churchillian in the uh in the presentation there but uh that, that was uh, some, of the, some of the some of the excerpts there you would think that if he's uh, gonna be addressing the uh, UK Parliament, you might want to do it in English, but hey, you know, whatever. Um, it's it's also primarily for domestic consumption back in Ukraine, and uh, that was probably one of the uh, biggest Zoom calls of recent memory. I'm Mike of New York, and we'll be back with more in a little bit, just a little bit, got it? Got it. Well, after initially saying that they were behind it 100%, the United States government has apparently rejected an offer by Poland to transfer 27 MiG-29s from Polish stocks to a U.S. base in Germany where they in turn would be picked up or transferred to the Ukrainian Air Force. At the last minute, it would seem as a deal had been worked out where Poland would be recompensated with F-16 fighter aircraft in exchange for the MiG-29s, the Polish jets, it would seem, are not going to be going via Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. At least uh, that's what WION tells us, the Indian TV network. I just saw this a little while ago. Let's listen to what it's about.
3: The United States has rejected Poland's offer to send MIG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine via its airbase. The USA says that the proposal raises serious concerns for the entire NATO alliance. Here's what the proposal entails. MIG-29 are Russian-made Soviet-era fighter jets. Poland offers to send these jets to U.S. base in Germany. For Poland, it is a way to replenish Ukraine's air force to help the country fight against Russian forces. Polish foreign ministry urged other members of the NATO alliance that had other such aircrafts to do the same. Polish Air Force received F 16 fighter jets as replacements.
2: We were always emphasizing that Poland is not party to this war and NATO is not party to this war. Uh, this is why. Any decisions of delivering um, offensive weapon has to be taken by the entire NATO on a unanimous basis, and this is why we are ready to give all our, of our fleet uh, of uh, jet fighters uh, to Rammstein, but we are not uh, ready to make any moves on our own because, as I said, we are not party uh, to this war.
3: At the moment, Ukraine's Air Force fleet consists of old MiG-29 and Sukhoi-27 jets. These are the only two planes Ukrainian pilots could fly immediately without additional training. How was the U.S. reacted or how has the U.S. reacted to the situation? Pentagon says that the prospects of flying combat aircraft from NATO territory into the war zone raises serious concerns. Pentagon also says that there is no substantive rationale behind the proposal. A diplomat at the U.S. State Department said that the Polish proposal had caught the U.S. off guard. U.S. President Joe Biden has ruled out sending U.S. troops into Ukraine to fight. U.S. lawmakers have been urging the Biden administration to facilitate aircraft travel. Poland's new announcement reflects its own sensitivity. The country is a part of NATO an alliance that does not want direct conflict with Russia. Poland is supporting Ukraine with defensive weapons, but it has said that it would not send jets as it is not a direct stakeholder in the conflict. This week, Russian Defense Ministry warned that countries offering airfields to Ukraine for attacks on Russia will be considered as entering the conflict.
0: And so that is that, it would seem, uh, the decision by the United States government to not accept uh, these Polish jets for transfer, uh, according to John Kirby, who is the uh, Pentagon press secretary. um, What is the rationale and where the aircraft would operate from? Because basically most of the bases of the Ukrainian air force are pretty much under threat uh, on a regular basis, in fact, from Russian forces. So the probability of them being able to do anything is somewhat limited, as many people are saying. Therefore, let's see how it goes. But that development is indeed a surprise because yesterday, uh, Tuesday in New York City, this was all the rage. This was all the big news. This is what everybody was talking about. And now it would seem it no longer is being talked about. It would seem that many people in the USA defense and security structure are looking around and saying there is uh, uh, not exactly a lot of uh, probability with uh, an ability to be able to carry out, these actions were the long haul. I'm sorry for yawning there I mean, uh, Tells you how long and hard I work on these podcasts. <laughs> so, what is going on at this time? We're listening and looking and checking the world to see what exactly I could offer you as part of this broadcast podcast. Um, you know and and what it means. So you know, we we heard the Indian coverage of it um and we've heard and, and seen some of the uh statements from from other officials. um as far as two days ago, it had supposedly all been worked out. but suddenly, it ain't gonna happen. And that is very, very strange. As most people who have been looking at this uh fight have noted there just you know um is not a lot of potential. to to see exactly how this is going to affect things. Um, Well, that's kind of sad, but that is exactly where things stand at this point. And essentially, this is where a lot of people are blaming Joe Biden on for his failures to take things uh, seriously. Senator Mitch McConnell, Kentucky Republican leader of the US Senate, had this to say about Joe Biden and his actions lately with regards to American preparedness for Ukraine and how very little was done to prepare NATO beyond tipping them off as far as steps to protect other NATO countries.
4: And allies. Ukraine's President Zelensky over the weekend. He and his constituents, the brave people of Ukraine, have won the hearts and minds of all of us all across the world. Their pain, of course, is Putin's fault. But as I and others warned for weeks before the invasion, that pain has been compounded by the West's hesitation and sluggishness in helping Ukraine prepare for this onslaught, which we could all see coming. Crisis was not only foreseeable, it was, in fact, foreseen. Republicans spent months urging President Biden to put more lethal aid in Ukrainian hands before Russian invasion made those deliveries much more difficult. We urged the administration to reinforce our Eastern flank NATO partners before Putin escalated his war against Ukraine rather than playing catch up. We called for heavier sanctions before Putin had fully committed his forces and his pride. We warned repeatedly that the Biden administration must not let these actions be slowed down to the speed of bureaucracy. But that is of course what happened. As President Zelensky himself said publicly last week, while he appreciates all the Western help, much of it is ultimately arriving too late. The Biden administration is now finally doing many of the things they slow walked months ago as too provocative or too escalatory. Providing stingers, sharing intelligence, deploying more forces to NATO's eastern flank. Finally, getting out of the way of sanctioning Nord Stream 2. Now, as supplies dwindle and safe resupply and transit corridors narrow, friends of Ukraine will have to work even harder to help the citizens and their government stay in the fight.
0: And that's Mitch McConnell speaking from the floor of the United States Senate uh, on Tuesday evening in Washington, D.C. That's it for me for now on this Ukraine update. Once we look at the situations going and where they are. Of course, um, some people are saying, uh, you know what? You have been talking a lot about, you know, what the criticism is of the Biden administration. What have you talked about what the Biden administration is doing? Well, there is a lot. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll get to that next week. Or tomorrow. Or in a later podcast. I'm Mike of New York. We'll give both sides. Or all sides. Or whatever side there is. Is there anything that we should look at? Hmm. Well. We should look at exactly what is next, what is coming, and how far could it go as we listen and leave you with the President of the United States, Joe Biden.
2: Caring for our veterans has been a central focus in my administration since day one. And for the last year, the Department of Veterans Affairs, led by Secretary McDonough, has been the linchpin linchpin of our government-wide push to make life better for American veterans. Providing assistance through this pandemic, like job training and housing. <clears throat> We're helping lower-income veterans access VA care, get free. We're spending access to health care services, women veterans, and the LGBTQ community veterans. We're implementing a plan to bring down the rate of suicide among service members and veterans. You know, it's sad to say, to this day, we average 17 veterans a day commit suicide every single day. More than they get killed in combat every single day. It's an absolute tragedy that demands not only a whole-of-government approach, but a whole of country working together to deal with this issue. Texas is one of those states participating in the governor's and mayor's challenge to take on this crisis. And as I announced my State of the Union message, we're focusing on meeting the specific care and needs for all our veterans who suffer because of their service, for all our veterans. We learned a horrible lesson after Vietnam. It was harmed the harmful effects of Agent Orange which dropped upon so many thousands of veterans in the years it took to manifest illnesses in veterans. Because then the veteran had to prove whatever his problem was was directly a consequence of Agent Orange. Well, we passed a law that I was proud to be a co sponsor of a long time ago, saying that if you were, if you had Agent Orange drop upon you, it was presumed that the illness you had was the consequence of that. Now we're even slower to connect the dots of what's happening to those too many Vietnam veterans living in a lurch, unable to access the care they needed. It was only in the past year that we added bladder cancer and conditions of un, uh, underactive thyroid and Parkinson's a list of conditions tied to Agent Orange exposure, as science told us more. Decades after the exposure took place, it took far too long to reach that decision in my view. And I refuse to repeat the mistake when it comes to the veterans of our Iraq and, and Afghan wars. Not only did they face the dangers in the battlefield but they were breathing toxic smoke and burn pits where they're near where they're based. I was in and out of Afghanistan and Iraq 23 times. I spent a fair amount of time there as the United States senator and as vice president. The burn pits and incinerate wastes of war, medical and hazardous materials, jet fuel, and so much more. Just dug in big pits where, not far from the hooches, not far from where our veterans were sleeping. When our troops came home, the fittest among them, Greatest fighting force in the history of the world, too many of them were not the same. Headaches, dizziness, numbness, dizziness, cancer. And we know, we don't know yet enough about the connection between burn pits and each of these diseases so many of our veterans are now facing. But I'm committed. I'm committed to America, make the commitment to find out everything we can. I'm committed to the families like Danielle Robinson, the widow of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson who joined my wife, Jill, in the, vice, in the, in the first lady's box in the State of the Union. Sergeant Robinson was born a soldier, National Army National Guard, combat medic in Kosovo in Iraq, stationed at the same bases around the same exact time as my son, Major Biden, United States Army. In Baghdad, Sergeant Robinson was stationed in yards from Burmkis, the size of football fields. And back home in Ohio, Danielle and their little girl waited for him to come home to coach the soccer team, to build Legos, but when he finally came home, cancer likely caused prolonged exposure to burn pits, ravaged his lungs and his body. The soldier who could bench-press 315 pounds, squat 400 pounds, run 2 miles in 12 minutes, would be bent over in a bathroom gasping for air. Danielle, working full-time, turned to become a 24-7 caregiver, scared to leave him alone for even a minute. He was just 39 years old when he was held as she held his hand and he took his last breath. But Daniel said he, Danielle said he never stopped fighting, and neither did she. She kept fighting for his memory, in his memory, for our veterans and our families who are going through the same thing today. Families like hers, like so many of yours, you're the reason why we're doing everything we can. We've increased funding from VA research to study. The health effects of toxic exposure in the military. We're speeding up the process to identify and address and uh, adverse impacts from military-related environmental exposure. We're following the science in every case, but we're also not going to force veterans to suffer in limbo for decades if the science is even, even if it's evenly divided. When the evidence doesn't give a clear answer one way or another, the decision we should favor is caring for our veterans while we continue to learn more. Not waiting. Not waiting.
0: Hey, and that is our part two. Uh, President Biden there talking about burn pits, the issues with veterans, and uh, veterans' health issues. They're very much concerned for people like me who uh, have uh, family members who are veterans. My brother served in the U.S. Army. A cousin of mine served in the U.S. Navy, in fact, several cousins. Uh, you know, um, unfortunately because of my vision I was not allowed to serve or, but I did in my own little way uh, as a journalist telling the stories of those veterans and many of the stories uh, in fairness to President Biden that, that he's talking about with uh, people affected by toxic chemicals and exposure uh, in Iraq, in Afghanistan and just on U.S. military bases around the uh, United States and, and other parts of the world are uh, things that indeed need to be looked into and if uh, restitution is needed, it should also be for those communities that have been adversely affected by these situations. Because those burn pits he's talking about, I've also seen those burn pits, uh, and now is not serving in the military at the time. I remember seeing these big, huge clouds of black smoke uh, coming out of northern tip of Guam back in the day, and, and also at the former Naval Base Guam. I'm wondering also if those pits uh, existed in uh, places in the Philippines and other areas where they also are complaining about these issues of toxic contamination from the bases and a lot of tentacles and other things that were an issue that still needs to be resolved. I'm Mike of New York, and that's the latest for me for now uh, on the situation in the Ukraine. We will have updates when it becomes more. Thank you so much for
1: listening to the